Hello, fellow theater people. Welcome to episode eight of the Theater People podcast. I'm Patrick Hines, your host. I wanted to mention here that episode six of the podcast, featuring Michael Yuri from Off Broadway's Buyer and Seller and TV's Ugly Betty, really is a fantastic episode. I didn't get to promote it as much as I normally would because baby Daisy, my and Steve's new foster daughter, came bounding into our lives that week, and I'll admit it, I was just a little neglectful of the podcast, so I fear some of you may have missed that episode. You can find that episode and all of our episodes on our website, www.theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L.com. Okay, now to today's show. I always dreamed the boy I loved would come along, and he'd be tall and handsome, rich and strong. Now that boy I love has come to me, he sure ain't the way I thought he'd be. Anika Larson's name, at least not yet anyway, but if you're an avid theater goer, you've probably seen her in something, and if you've seen her in something, you probably remember her. On Broadway, she was in the original cast of Xanadu, she covered a bunch of roles in Rent, she replaced as Kate Monster in Avenue Q, and then opened the off-Broadway company at New World Stages, and now, originating for the first time a lead role, she can be seen eight times a week as Cynthia Weil, Carol King's best friend and sometimes competitor in Beautiful, the Carol King musical, at the Stephen Sondheim Theater. Anika's story is amazing. Honestly, some of this stuff you just can't make up. I'm tempted to tell you about it myself, but instead, I'm just going to let her. Well, let me start by saying, Anika Larson, welcome to the Theater People podcast. It is such a delight to have you. Thanks for having me. It's I've nice to be here. been a fan of yours, like, forever. I um, Like I was saying earlier, I uh, saw you in Xana Don't, and then I've just been, like, following your career, because I just adore you. Well, thanks. So That's thanks a for... nice thing. I think it has to be adored. I feel like Ava Perone right now. My arms are up. Nobody can see it, but my arms are up. No. We're, gonna, we're definitely going to sing. <laughs> Um, well, I guess we'll just start, we'll yeah. start where you are in your life, if that's sure, okay. Sure, sure. Um, I was reading that mm-hmm. right before, well, first of all, congratulations on Beautiful. Thank you. What Thank an amazing you. show. I'm having the time of my life. I can't even, I can't even begin to tell you how charming this experience is. Across the board, it is lovely. The people, the building, the show, my part, my partner, like everything about it is wonderful. And it almost didn't happen at like two different turns, right? Uh, for me or for the show? Well, I, I, what I, I guess what I was getting like at I, was... I think probably both. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of a miracle what Paul Blake, our producer, pulled off. I mean, it's how quickly it all happened and all of the odds that were sort of against it in terms of dealing with all the, the real people who are alive and have thoughts about what it should be. And so, yes, the fact that Beautiful is even happening is somewhat of a miracle. And then that I'm in it is, yeah. Well, because I had read that, like, the day before you got the offer, you quit the business. I did. Like, I did. legit? Like, you called like, your agent and said, I'm done. And I didn't call my agent. No, I didn't do that. I guess that would make it seem more legit and final. But, I mean, I think we all toy with quitting the business at times throughout our career. I've been here 17 years doing it. And uh, a couple of years ago was when the first time when I seriously thought, no, I can't keep doing this to myself. It's too masochistic. It's too awful. Um, the, the, the highs are so high and wonderful, and the joy of it is so wonderful, but it is just so hard on ways that... In ways that people don't even, I mean, yes, the rejection is sort of, I think, what people who are outside of the business think about. And yes, auditioning constantly and being rejected is awful. But um, especially for a planner like me, the not knowing not only what I'm going to do next year, because that I've sort of given up trying to have any sense of, but next week, tomorrow, my voiceover agent could and will likely call tonight at 630 and 
asked me to go audition for something tomorrow. And yes, you want to go because I want to do voiceovers because that's a nice way to make a living. Um, but um, I, it's it's just I'm not good at not knowing what I'm. I can't plan my day tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that's yeah. that's a hard way to live. Um, it's with such uncertainty and um, you know not knowing if you're going to keep your health insurance and that stress and. You know, not knowing how you're going to pay your bills this year is something I'm not good at navigating always, relentlessly, you know. And so it's just the constant hustle of every job is finite. You're always looking for work. It's always hard. It's always mildly stressful. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it was just sort of... I had, so I'd, I had seriously thought about it the summer before and spent a weekend trying to figure out an exit strategy and just literally didn't know how to get out. I just didn't know what else I could do. And then the day before I got this, I just it was sort of the perfect storm of all different areas of my life feeling like they just weren't working out and what am I doing and kind of a mild midlife crisis or something. I don't know what it was, but I just thought, I can't actually keep doing this, so I'm going to quit the business and have a baby. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. That was the big plan. I'm not, I'm single, so it was, you know, on many levels, you know. You're talking to the right crowd. Vanya just had a baby. Mm -hmm. Steve and I are having a baby very soon as well. Good for you. Thank you. you. Congratulations. You have such a gorgeous smile. Well, thanks. I can see through the little mesh thing in front of the... I know. You can see half of it, sort of. <laughs> exactly. Um, where were you in the process of auditioning? Like, did, did getting the job of Beautiful really just happen out of nowhere that you no, were... No, it wasn't. A, and actually, that was sort of the main thing that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back was that I had done three readings of it. Uh, um, and then they did a fourth and, and recast me and then asked me to come back for the final callbacks. And so I really thought that they were just doing it to be polite or that there was like one or two people who were still like what about Anika meanwhile 20 people were like no we've moved on mm-hmm. um, and so uh, when they asked me to come back for final the final callback in front of sort of everybody the producers the creative team the real Barry and Cynthia mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, that was the day that I decided to quit was like I walked out of there and I'm not sure why I was so certain that I didn't get it because they were actually quite lovely in my audition um, but um, I think it was like my there it is. That's New York uh, City, people. Do folks, you hear that horn? We're in a studio today, and we're just gonna we're just gonna drink it up, New I York. I love it. I love the sounds of New York. <laughs> Me too. Um, uh, but um, where was I? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So I went into my audition and decided. I think it was sort of my coping mechanisms of uh, it, it. It hurt so bad to think about losing this part, which I knew because I'd done readings was so fantastic, um, and to be so close to. It'd been a while since I'd been on Broadway, which is the only real way you can make a living wage mm-hmm. as a theater actor. Um, and um, and it, and I just knew what great things it would do for me, the show, and what a great experience it would be, and how great it would be working with these people. And so to be so close to that and lose it was so agonizing that I just thought I can't, I can't keep putting myself through this. And so that night when I didn't hear, because they said they were going to make the decisions that day, that night when I didn't hear, I assumed that meant no. And I then decided, all right, that's it. This is the next chapter is about something different. And then my agent called the next day. And Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So, and then you're four days into rehearsal. And then I'm four days into rehearsal. My stomach starts hurting. And I think it's gas. So I'm not going to tell anybody. It's only been four days. We're not close like that. Um, and, um, and then by that evening, I, I got home and I was on WebMD because I was like, I think maybe it's appendicitis because this isn't normal. This is, and there was a lump on the lower right side of my stomach. And that's where your appendix is, I learned on WebMD. And so I talked to my mom. She's like, take a cab over to the hospital. 
hospital. I'm so cheap because, as I've explained, <laughs> feast or famine is this yes. business, and so I'm very good at not spending money. So I hunched over like a little old man. I walked the 15 minutes to, this, to the hospital, oh. which my mom wouldn't let me live down, but I think is the reason why the minute I got in the door, I fainted, which got me immediately on a stretcher and into the ER. And I've been to that same hospital with, like, strep throat or something, and I've, I've waited hours and hours and hours, and I didn't oh. have hours to wait because if I'd waited five to ten hours to go to the hospital... Uh, I would have died because... And my, that's real. You're not exaggerating. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm, my mom, I wouldn't have actually known that except that my mom asked the doctor after. So that was something I didn't find out till after, which is good news. Because they tell you that before the surgery and you're thinking there's this clock ticking inside. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, no, I was, uh, I was born with a floppy colon. Your colon's supposed to be attached to the inside of your abdomen walls. And on my right side, mine wasn't. And why on that day as opposed to any other in my life when I was doing yoga or gymnastics as a kid or something, that day I was upright all day. But why it does decided to flip and twist on itself and create a blockage. So everything was building up behind it. So it would, uh, it would burst and filled me up with the toxins and killed me. And is that something they ever could have seen ahead no. of time? I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, I suppose if they were going in for some other reason, but it's not something, and, and they don't really, ex- it's so rare that it's not really something that people think about worrying about. It doesn't yeah. happen to people my age. It happens to 80-year-olds in old folks' homes. It doesn't, it's just so rare that it's not something anyone out there listening should worry about. <laughs> Although you should honor pains in your stomach. Yes, if your stomach if hurts. If you feel yeah. them, go to the hospital. Because yeah. I really thought they were going to give me gas and send me home and I was going to feel stupid, but then at least I would have gotten a good night's sleep before rehearsal the next day, which, of course, I ended up missing. Well, and then, not to guide you through the story too much, but I just think it's so interesting, is that, you know, they told you it was going to be an eight-week recovery period. Up to eight weeks, they said, yeah. They said, depending on whether we can do it laparoscopically, which is like through your belly button, which is what they do for appendicitis now, and we're in and out. That's nothing. Um, But they, no, they they cut me right up the middle. Um, Yeah, and it was the only way to get there and do all that they needed to do. It took out eight inches of my colon and my appendix as a sweet bonus. (laughs) So now they never have to go in there again. Was this the same day? Um, Well, it was ish. I mean, yes. Well, no. It was. I I, so I went to the hospital about eight thirty. About four in the morning, they finally came in with the results from the CAT scan and said it's not appendicitis. It's a sequel volvulus. We need to give you a right hemicolectomy. She went to Yale, you guys. Don't mess with her. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's just repeating what I heard, like a good little actor should. But, um, uh, yeah, so it was the next morning, or the next afternoon, I think, was when I finally was in surgery. And then um, woke up, and my Trinidadian night nurse, because I really thought, okay, that's it. I've lost the show, because that's our San Francisco run. And I thought they have to recast somebody for the San Francisco run, and why would they give it back to me after that? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I've been... I've been assured since by everyone at the theater that I, they would have replaced me and, and I would have been able to come back. But you never do know in this yeah, business. Yeah, of course. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I thought, all right, well, I've lost that. that and um, I'm going to, I mean, it was just was so scary and I was alone because I couldn't get a signal on my cell phone in the ER. And the nurses kept talking about a portable phone somewhere, but it never materialized. Yeah. So I was alone all of that night till the next day till I was able to call my mom. Um, and so dealing with all of this on your own, I just, I just sort of shut down and was like, I'm not actually going to process any of this, but realized I was going to have to give up the show. Um, and, uh, and then my Trinidadian night nurse, when I woke up from surgery, she said, tomorrow morning, you're not going to want to, but you got to get up. You got to walk. You got to move. It's the only way you're going to get your insides moving again. And you got to pass gas because they're not going to feed you till you pass <laughs> gas. And they're not going to let you out of here till you poop. So you got to walk. <laughs> you got to move. And I was like, if there's some way I can control this, if there's something I can do to get myself out of here faster, I beat a groove in the hallway outside my Wow. It was the last thing I wanted to do with this, my belly stapled together. I, yeah, it was awful. But, um, but uh, I did. And 
uh, six days after my surgery, I was back in rehearsals. I should not have been, um, but uh, uh, looking back, <laughs> the number of times I almost fainted that I was like, nobody can know. I, I'm, I'm tricking them. They all think I'm fine, and they're all like, we knew you weren't <laughs> fine. And like, you look awful. I lost 10 pounds in 10 days. I, I remember just, when I saw the show, because I saw it in previews, thinking, yeah. she is so skinny. Yeah, I mean, colon surgery, gorgeous, guys. How bad do you want it? I know. <laughs> bad, girl. How do I get, <laughs> get in there? Get her done. <laughs> Summer is a coming. Miserable. Right? Yeah, no, I do not recommend it. But, um, but uh, yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I, and, it, and really I wasn't clearly healed by that point, but the, it was overwhelming to me how everybody made me feel so loved and, and valued there and, and allowed me to heal on the job. Talk about it, because I remember when I read yeah. about it, I was, it made me cry. I literally was at work uh, reading this article, and I was like, they were so nice to oh, her. Oh, I'm so glad, because they really, really were. I mean, you know, first of all, you always think of producers as being cheap and all about the bottom line, and they paid for a car service to take me to and from rehearsal for that following three weeks up until we went to San Francisco. And I just, there's no way, I didn't have an ounce of energy left to, to navigate the subways. Right. Um, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't have. Um, so for them to do that for me was, I mean, I would fall asleep in the car on the way home. I fell asleep during lunch break. Uh, mm-hmm. lunch break I would, my body was so exhausted. And, um, and, uh, and then, um, you know, our director and stage management, they would call me two hours late every day or release me two hours early so I didn't have to do full days because it was clear I couldn't. Um, and then uh, Jared Spector, who plays my lover in the show, he would always have a, a chair next to me after we finished doing our scene. So anytime I wasn't actually working, I could be sitting um, and then just the ways everybody just checked in on me constantly. Everybody was, it was hilarious because everybody kept saying, you look so much better than yesterday. <laughs> and they kept saying that every day. And every day I thought, I'm better now. I'm fine now. And then every day I'd be like, no, yesterday I was a mess. Today I'm so much better. <laughs> when you get that debilitated, you, it's hard to remember what normal is. Oh. And so when like a week or so passed and nobody had said, you look so much better than yesterday, that's when I realized, no, actually, okay, I'm back. I'm oh, back. my God. Yeah. But it wasn't until we were in San Francisco. Francisco in previews that I, th- I thought I'm back to full sparkle. Mm-hmm. She's back. back. <laughs> Anika's back. Yeah, I was running actually from. I, I almost burst into tears. I was running because you know we had to do it. It was it was tech, but we had to time our costume changes and stuff. And in San Francisco, we didn't have a backstage cross, so to get from one side of the stage to the other, you had to go down a flight, through the basement, uh. up a flight, and then I had to go up an additional flight to get to my dressing room. And I was running up the two flights of stairs in heels, and I I just that was when I almost lost it. I, I mean, it wasn't even two months since I'd had the surgery, and there I was doing this, and it was just, it was overwhelming. Uh, yeah. Wow. And looking yeah. fabulous, I have to say. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I play the, it's the character who is the only one in the show that is actually says in the script that she's chic, so I knew Alejo. <laughs> and your costumes are, are gorge. He threw down. Yeah. Alejo Vieri, our costume designer, he's amazing. Um, but she really was, Cynthia is mm-hmm. incredibly fashionable. So, um, yeah, so it, that's fun. Because I've never been that girl. I've never played that girl. The, oh, like, really? The pretty girl. The, like, clothes horse. Xanadu? Like, you were well, a goddess. I, I was a, I, well, I understudied the goddess. I mean, I guess I did it on the tour, yes. But even that isn't, I don't know. I guess maybe the difference is I've never played, like, a woman. Yeah. <laughs> she, she wasn't real. Yeah. She was sort yeah. of ethereal mm-hmm. and unreal. And this is the first sort of sophisticated woman I'm playing and yeah. something funny and, and lovely like I'm finally ready for that <laughs> well there's so much to talk about about, about this yeah. first of all well let's talk a little bit about the show maybe sure. d- talk to people uh, maybe just explain what the show is because it's sure. more than just the Carol Carol King's story yeah yeah. I mean she's absolutely the, the lead character mm-hmm. it's all about her but um, they very smartly knew that I mean you can't just 
no show. It doesn't have a B plot. So right. um, they realized very quickly that that um, there was this, these two couples, her and her husband, and then Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil, who literally did. They were two married couples in this office filled with just men writing songs. Um, Cynthia and Carol were the only women who worked there at 1650 Broadway, and they um, literally worked in the in across like on either side of a wall from each other and could hear each other writing and were incredibly competitive and they took vacations together just so that they could be sure the others weren't writing and getting the next number one hit while they right. were on vacation. Um, so they were incredibly competitive but managed somehow also to be incredibly dear friends and remain dear friends to this day. So it's, it's a really extraordinary relationship in and of itself and then just to be watching, what's fascinating about the show is just to be watching these kids, you know, these young, really young Jewish kids from Brooklyn mostly writing the next hit song for these black artists mm -hmm. um, was what it was like and it, you know we say in the show it's like a factory but they make songs it was this place where they were churning out these the next number one hit and 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 it doesn't really exist that kind of that kind of thing anymore yeah um, and, and mainly because and we sort of addressed it in our show in act two is that um, people like Dylan and the Beatles came along and started writing their own music and and they have now become the people who we really respect and are, we consider real musicians, you know, Singer, the Sarah Bareilles yeah. type people, yeah. who um, are, they're the ones that really do better. I mean, you have your Beyonces and your Rihannas, who people write for them, but but they are sort of outnumbered, I think, at this point, mm -hmm. by people who write their own stuff. Well, I was going to say, because everyone knows the, the Carol King canon, you know, but maybe mm -hmm. uh, t talk about the songs by Man and Wheel. Sure. Um, well, I think they, they think they know the Carol King canon, but um, we'll, we'll likely be surprised. That's unless true. Unless they obsess about her and wikipedia <laughs> her beforehand, which I don't recommend. I actually think... I think about this about most shows is don't read the playbill, don't look at the song list before it starts because the fun of it is going, wait, she wrote that too? Yeah. Which I'm sort of hesitant to even, I'm not going to say any of the songs okay. that she wrote <laughs> because, uh, what Carol King wrote, just because that's half the fun of it is going, wait, wait, what? She wrote that too? That's unbelievable. Um, but Man and Wild, I'll tell you, the, um, their biggest hit is uh, You've Lost That Love and Feeling, mm -hmm. which is the number one song played on the radio of all time. Is that and true? It likely never be beaten because radio is sort of irrelevant at this well, point. Well, I mean, like, turn yeah. on your radio right now, it's playing. Yeah, like I'm thinking it now. Yeah. Like every yeah. dentist office you're ever yeah. in, yeah. And I remember reading that as it was a trivia pursuit question, maybe 20 years ago or something, when I never thought I'd be one of the people playing one of the people who wrote that song. I remember being very surprised by that, and people are often surprised when I tell them that. But yeah, no, it is. It, it was a massive hit and continues to be. And what is your relationship with Cynthia? Um, she's awesome. She's awesome. We, um, I mean, I met her when I was doing the readings, and but only just sort of to chat a little bit. Um, and then um, we finally got to go out with them for drinks. We went out drinking, me and Jared. Wow. Barry Man, and then Barry Man and Cynthia Weil. And we went actually with a, a reporter from The New Yorker. And um, it, 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 it was really fun. There was a lot of stuff that was off the record that I can't even say here. <laughs> but there were lots of secrets revealed. And just uh, it was wonderful to watch them together and, and, and feel like... Doug McGrath, who wrote the book, did a really fantastic job of capturing the essences of them that would play well on stage, because obviously it's not really fully who they are. It's a right. musical, and you only have so much time to tell, you know, sort of pluck sort of that, you know, Barry's a hypochondriac. Right. It's like, that's the fun part of him that we indulge in, and that, and sort of that Cynthia is sort of counter to that as very sort of pragmatic and career-oriented and focused, and, and they balance each other in this lovely way on stage. Um, and then to watch that happening, like just in between the, the, interplay, the interplay between them, is so fun to watch. But so um, they're still married; they're still together. They're still together. Yes. It's been four spoiler decades. Alert. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun spoiler, so it's okay. But yeah, no, it's been decades, and they continue to write. I mean, uh, they, they, they're 
they, they wrote like half my favorite songs in the 80s. They wrote, remember, Somewhere Out Yeah, of there. course, yep. And they wrote um, my favorite song, uh, Just Once, Can We Figure Out What We Keep Doing Wrong? James yeah. Ingram, anyone? <laughs> um, you know, they, I mean, they just, they continue. Uh, yeah, it's, it's astonishing, the number of things. This is one of those shows where you'll watch it, and then immediately you get out of the theater and you'll Wikipedia them, because you just, want, you need to know. And the crazy part is this, like, how it's all true, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, especially the Carol and Jerry storyline is really so Yeah, it's surprising. Accurate. It's funny because, yeah. you know, everyone's raised on Carol King and you think you know her, but then you right. see the show and you're just like, right. and Jesse Mueller, so great. She's, she is, I don't even, I, I can't say enough about that woman. Uh, she's the coolest chick I've met in years um, on every level. So much fun off stage, so chill, so, uh, there's not an ounce of diva in her. Um, and then just so carries our show. It's such poise and honesty and grace and um you know, it's funny because she doesn't really get to sing as well as she can sing. I mean, she's singing. I was wondering about in a, that in a, in a style and a fashion to sound like Carol King. So you have no idea like what she's actually capable of vocally in this show. I mean, I saw her in on a clear day. Of course, and I was floored by her. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's sort of fun is to you know the audience has no idea really what she's capable of on that front. But her her acting and her um, comic timing which are all just so based on honesty and being in the moment, which is a thing you say a lot and I've never seen so fully realized in in musical theater than in anyone like Jessie. She, she um, I, you never know what you're going to get from her and not in a crazy way, like always within a range that makes sense, but I, we have this scene where we sit down on a couch and we talk about boys in the beginning of Act 2 and it's always different and I never quite know what she's going to throw at me and there's nothing more thrilling than that is that you know that you're safe because she's always going to make smart choices and it's always going to be stuff you can easily and honestly respond to but that you're always just sort of I mean you know acting is reacting they teach you in acting 101 and and that I get to go out there every night and, and react to her and sometimes sometimes she's a little more teary and sometimes she's a little more outraged and, and whatever she throws at me is how I as her friend that she's come to for advice I then respond in the way that you would to that right? Um, and it, so it's, it's, it feels almost unscripted because of that and and that is so fun so fun is what will keep it fresh for us because we're you know it looks like we're not going anywhere yeah so we're gonna be doing this eight times a week for a while well it, it's my husband pointed out to me earlier today that one of the other beautiful things about the show is how the friendship between cynthia and carol is competitive yeah. but it's never a cat fight yeah. it's competitive supportive yeah. is and that true? true is that real yeah. and and that's the thing is that you really would think that these two women who were the only ones doing what they were doing at least in that building um there were others but really in that at that time specific time in that building you'd think that they might be i mean maybe it, it might have had something to do with that cynthia wrote lyrics and carol wrote uh music but i I do think that i do think that it's just it's not in their natures they just really liked each other so much and still do care about each other so much um yeah it's much more interesting that way isn't it it's so interesting as fiction you would make it a cat fight exactly and and, and the truth is far more interesting than that yeah um yeah um, because um yeah no they really do have a lovely lovely relationship it's really fun it's an unusual one i think for theater to, um, to it's, and, it, and again, it's because it's grounded in honesty. I wanted to talk about how this is your first opportunity to really originate uh, yeah. like a leading role. Yeah. And for fans of yours, and there are so many. I mean, people have been waiting for this for you for a long time. Wow. Um, you're like definitely a big draw to this show. I hope you know that. Oh, well, um, thanks. Yeah. Now. I, mean, I don't know if I believe you, but all right. It's true. Do, like, get on Twitter. Like, do, if you Never. did the research that I did. I'm an old lady. You told me when I we were communicating so that you're. Media. Not allergic to Facebook. I get away. Yeah, I can't. Well, I would just wanted to talk about. Well, first, say congratulations. 
congratulations. Thank and then second, you. say thank you because you're so great. Oh, and then third, say, you know, it's such a dumb question to say. Like, how are you how loving it? it? Like, yeah, yeah. I know, actually, it's, it's, it's remarkable the number of people at the stage door who say, is it fun? You're right. And I'm like, how can you even, <laughs> like, that really does feel like a dumb question. Yeah, and yeah. Then I, and I, but then it couldn't be because enough people ask it. That's not the question you were asking us. Yeah. You're but the idea that <laughs> I have how many could you have just watched this? <laughs> enough, we'll get to them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but how can you just have watched this thing and, and, and I could come out and say, no, it's terrible. It's awful. Yeah. It's awful. <laughs> First of all, I'd be such a jerk. <laughs> totally. To be honest, if it was. But second of all, how could it possibly be? You just saw it's just so full of joy. Everything about it is full of joy. And I think part of the reason the audience is having so much fun is because it's so clear we're having so much fun. For sure. But I don't give that very long answer. I, I, I think that um, the most extraordinary part of this process has been the graciousness, the generosity, uh, the openness of... Um, Everybody, really, but specifically in, in terms of this question, Mark Bruni, our director, and Doug McGrath, our book writer, they um, were unbelievably open to collaboration, um, which is really the best way to do it, but not everybody is able to be so egoless as to let you. So they were willing to take the best idea in the room, no matter who it came from, um, and um, really let us speak into our parts. So I, I often think of like each part as like a suit, and you get cast because they believe you're going to look good in the suit. And then you try through your rehearsal process to fit the suit to you better, take it in here and there. And, um, and, but you know, if you're doing guys and dolls, it's guys and dolls. It's going to be what it's going to be. There's only so much tailoring you can do. The part is the part. Whereas with this, uh, because, and also because I really had done, had done most of the workshops, it really has been tailored to me. Um, and, um, and Doug and I have a, a really, it's, it's exciting the sort of, when you have a rapport like this with a writer where he knows how to write for my voice and I know when I see what he's written on the page exactly how he wants it delivered. don't always get that and you certainly don't always get that in a process where you actually are creating something um, and you can be working with each other to, to change um, so um, I am incredibly proud of this role because I know how much I had to do is shaping it um, and you know that's why they say create a role because you really do the actors really do get to speak into and you know sometimes because they're actively trying to and then sometimes you know there's definitely been times in the history of musical theater where a song didn't stay in because somebody couldn't sell it or where a joke did stay in because that one person could nail it and then nobody ever after them could nail that For joke sure. so it's never going to be quite as funny but it's there because it was in the first broadway cast because that person because it's always the, the role is always tailored to that person and um you know so it's just a level of degree how much they really do get to speak into it but it was I mean, it has been so fun. It's, it's, it's now, it's, it's a whole different process now because now we're just doing eight shows a week and we don't get to say, hey, wait a minute, I just made a discovery. What if we just change this one word here? Right. That might make it funnier or that gets across the point clearer or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, so I'm tremendously proud of, of the Cynthia that exists on that stage because um, I, I really felt, feel like I helped yeah. make her. Well, yeah. congratulations. It's a Thank great you. show. Thank you. Thank um, you. Maybe we can go back to your childhood. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay. <laughs> exactly. Oh so, okay, one of ten. Yes. You are in the middle. Six right. adopted the middle. Yes. brothers. And so you're one of ten. You grew up in Cambridge. Yes. 
There's no way to say this other than to just say, why on earth did your parents adopt six kids? No, um, you know, I think I think the short answer because it could go on forever, but um, is that my mom is an incredibly smart, competent woman who was born just on the cusp of women's lib. I mean, she was born in the '40s and was you know shaped in the '50s and really was raised to think she was going to get married and have kids. And um, if she'd lived in a different time, she might actually having had my colon surgery experience with her. I think she would have been a doctor, but. Um, but um, I think that um, she, she's sort of an extraordinary woman, and if she was going to be a mom, she was going to be super mom. Wow. And um, she, you know, was then, you know, went to college and stuff in the, in the 60s and um, was really angered that she grew up in Connecticut and um, was angry that the first black person she ever met was her college architecture professor um, and, and just sort of didn't understand why that was and, um, and sort of was resolute in insisting that that not be the case for her kids so they raised us in Cambridge because it was so multicultural and diverse especially at the time especially in the 70s and 80s and um and um she you know sort of as you know having lived through the civil rights movement and then uh, also the, the Vietnam War I mean two of my brothers and sisters two of my a brother and a sister from Vietnam and a sister from Cambodia um so you know the Vietnam War also helped sort of shape her the way she ended up adopting and I say she only it's not just my mom my dad was absolutely wonderfully a part of it but I really do think my mom was the motor behind it I mean can I ask some personal questions like sure. did you guys have money like how can you afford 10 no that's kids? a very good question yeah no my mom had a trust fund they also both worked out of the home for the most of our um uh childhood so that that was a a way that they didn't have to have like we didn't have nannies. We didn't. Yeah. Have, we had a babysitter, Eileen O'Connor, who around the corner. She was one of seven herself because she was Irish Catholic. I was going to ask you if you did a Boston yeah. accent. Yes, I do. Oh my god! Especially when I start talking about the Red Sox. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. I'm a crazy Red Sox fan. Last um, week I told Laura Austin that she was a wicked smart kid, and she yeah. just looked at me like, "What are you talking? Like, why did you say it like that?" I was like, "Oh, sorry, oh, I'm from Boston." Yeah. Oh wait, you're from Boston too? Yeah. Oh, well, you didn't say that. I grew up on Cape Cod. I oh, went to god. Emerson. Oh my god! I know. <laughs> <laughs> I could listen to that accent I know. all it's delicious. day long. When you get on the Mass Pike and they're singing, like, you need another quarter. And I'm like, I'm home. Do you mean the Pike? The Pike. They, they just call the Pike. the Pike. They do, but I was, you know, for the benefit of the viewers exactly. slash listeners out there. Um, and did you guys have, like, a huge house? We did have a huge Where house, Where in Cambridge yeah. did you grow up? Uh, Garden Street, right outside of Harvard Square. Yeah, well, yeah. my mom went to Episcopal Divinity School for a while, so we lived on Brattle Street for, like, a minute. Yeah, yeah, near there. I yeah. mean, those houses are huge. Yeah, no, it was an, a nice big house. So, yeah. yes, there was definitely lots of room for everybody to Do you ever go to out. ART? Yeah, all the time. All the time. I loved it. I, yeah. loved it. I mean, we're jumping around a little bit, but I, I guess yeah. the next thing that makes sense for me to talk about to mm-hmm. you is the Shafrika, the white girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and inherent in this, I, we have to talk about Jaradoa, right. which I just like just learned about. Yeah. It's so funny in doing research on you. I was like, oh, she's so great. She's a belter. I love her voice. I can't wait to talk to her. And then yeah. I like read about you, and I was like, yeah. oh, my God. No. This girl's story is amazing. Well, thanks. So, okay. And you go to Yale, uh-huh. and you study drama. Um, and I have to ask, like, did you ever think, I'm at Yale, I should just get a finance degree? No. Never? No. I mean, the reason I was at Yale as opposed to, like, a conservatory program is because I thought I, you need to just, uh, if you can, get a, just a regular, you know, if you get a Yale degree, which is, you know, of course, already an amazing thing, and I'm incredibly lucky and privileged to have been able to do that, but that that's a, that's a solid thing to fall back on, no matter what you majored in, to be able to have that degree is good for life in the world will help me hopefully with better day jobs and stuff. But um, but no, I always I always knew I wanted to do theater. I don't really know why I persevered. 
a lot of the time looking back, I was never the big fish in a little pond. Even in high school, I was never the lead. At Yale, I couldn't ever really get a lead. I mean, they have a whole a cappella singing group scene there. Yeah. That's insane. Huge. And my freshman year, I mean, singing was the thing I knew I could do. Acting, I was less secure about. But singing, I knew I could do because I just all my life was belting because that's the way I got attention. People pay attention. Um, to, to this one of the ten children, um, and it's, uh, it's good to be great at it too. Well, yeah, no, that did that did. I think they wouldn't have paid attention so much <laughs> exactly. if I. Um, but um, but yeah, no, I auditioned for uh, four of the singing groups that year, uh, my freshman year, and didn't get into any. I mean, I, I've sort of ev- everywhere along the way, not really been encouraged to keep going, um, it, it, which is then I do wonder why it wasn't like the world was telling me, no, this is this is your path, Anika. I don't really know why. I stayed with it. Are you a proponent of having a fallback? Because a lot of people will say if you have a fallback, you won't succeed at acting. Yeah, no, I don't believe that. I don't think that there's, I think there are lots of things that people say that are like tidy in one sentence, you know, pitches. Um, I don't, I don't think that there's any one truism for this business. Uh, I think, I think if you're, if you're meant to do it, you'll do it. And I don't mean that in a sort of destiny providence kind of way. I think that we're all dealt a hand in life and each card is like, you get the talent card, but you also really need the like persistence card. You also need the like Zen card. Can I handle all of the stuff I talked about earlier? The sort of unpredictability and the rejection and the um, that you know the not crazy card because a lot of people in this business are crazy who then sort of get weaned out because they're crazy. So there are lots of there are lots of different skill sets you actually need to have to be in this business, and there is this sort of I don't know fire that burns within you, and so I. I don't think it has as much to do with if you have a fallback or I think it really and I I also don't think it's luck. I mean my high school drama teacher said this to me and I don't really know how he knew this to be true Um, but I think it was. He said if you have the talent and you go to New York and you work hard and you persist and you do all the right, you play the game right you will work. It may take 10 years but you will work and that made me feel so comforted. And maybe that's the reason why I'm here, is that somehow that was so comforting, that thought of it's not, it's not a magical thing. It's not luck of the draw. It's not you have to wait for your big break, and if you get it, you get it, and if you don't, you're screwed for life. That's not, I don't think any of that's true. It's, none of it is that magical or mystical. I think it's if you have the chops and you need to have the talent, if you do, and you work hard, you will work. Um, that, I really believe that to be true. I can't say that for L.A. I don't know how that all works out there. But I know for New York, it's just a matter of paying your dues, sowing the seeds that then will sort of blossom later in terms of relationships with people and working with people and then remembering you as somebody they like to work with. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wonder if it's also true about creating your own opportunities, you mm-hmm. know. And that's what I was thinking about with Jaredoa. Maybe right. you could talk a little bit about Jaredoa and what right. it is and, and how and why you formed or co-formed it. Um, yeah, that was, it's uh, sadly no longer around. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, it really was because my best friend, who is a director, um, April Nickel, um, had always had this idea, ever since she was little, of a theater company that served the community. And um, it really was all her idea, and then I got swept up in it. And um, it, it's the best thing I've ever done with my life, really, far and away. Um, uh, we existed for four years, and then unfortunately, just couldn't. It's very hard to raise money, especially if you don't have enough money to hire somebody to raise money. Yeah. If you can't afford a development director, you can't. And so we just kept thinking, but it's such a great idea, and everybody agrees with us, and we're doing it, we're executing it so well that that it that it will care. 
you know, will get picked up and, and people will say, it's very hard to separate people from their money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, but it was such a unique idea. I mean, the idea was, was yeah. like, you know, we went into schools and we used, and that actually, that program continues to exist. So I'm very proud that that legacy lives on, but we used theater to help kids read and write better. Um, and we created our own very unique curriculum and program for that. And then we also did, um, uh, radio plays for the elderly, which was a much easier way for people to come alongside us and volunteer. Because it was also, you know, I think I think a lot of people in the theater community would like to be volunteering, but our schedules are so, our lives are so erratic, we can't commit. When I first came to New York City, I was a big sister, and I could not manage to see her every Thursday afternoon. And then I got rent in L.A., and I was gone. And I felt so guilty about that, that I thought, I'll never do that. I'll never commit to a child or to anything that I can't follow through on. But we can't. We can't possibly, as I said, we can't possibly predict or know. So the nice thing about Jaredoa was it was a way to find ways for people to volunteer where they didn't have to commit but for, like, one morning, uh, two weeks from now, and if you if it falls through because you have something, uh, we we are expecting that, so we have backups. And um, you know, with the radio plays, it was so easy to come along with no preparation, bring a song. And these are we real the old school radio yeah, plays you with can sound find effects. Them on, yeah, you can yeah. find them on the internet. I have a friend who did course. one. Yeah, and and they were so fun. And then and half of it was, you know, it, we also we've made it clear it's not just that you show up and then perform for the elderly, but that it's also about talking with them. Nobody talks to them and listens to their stories. And, and in New York City, we don't really have intergenerational relationships most of us don't have our grandparents here most of us and I just it was so and everybody I think sort of left feeling like it was as good for them as it was for the people they were volunteering for um, so uh, yeah so it really was a lovely idea and we had oh, we had, we had plans to go to Rikers and we had plans and then there's so much that we, we we could maybe have done if but I also know that in the four years that we did this uh, the number of lights behind the eyes of people that lit up because of whatever program we were doing with them. The number of kids out there I know we affected and changed. Um, the at-risk youth we worked with, um, you know, we worked at a, a, an alternative to incarceration program for teenage felons. I mean, it was just the number of kids we affected, um, uh, you know, sort of even though, the, even though it doesn't exist anymore, you can't take that away. We did that. It's amazing. That. Yeah. I remember when I was a little kid and I was really into theater, my mom saying that she, that's what she wanted me to do was something like yeah. something that, you know, theater that made a difference. And yeah. I remember thinking like, how could you ever do it? Yeah. So when I read about that, you yeah. guys had done it, I was so yeah. like, Oh mom, yeah. <laughs> it was done. They yeah. did it. And it was the nice thing was we had a sort of our performance side and our service side and they constantly fed each other. Um, but so we, you know, we did, we ended up doing four different shows in the life of the theater company and all of our members, we had a membership, a memberships were, they were all in the shows and then did the, did the volunteering along with other people who came alongside us. Um, and so we always, our, I th- our, uh, our mission was to promote mercy, beauty, and truth through performance and service. So we, sort of, we tried to do shows that mercy, beauty, and truth were, were sort of important themes in and, um, and shows that sort of uplifted and inspired and asked better questions. Um, and uh, so... One of the shows you did was Shafrika. Was Shafrika, which was really a sort of an accident. Um, because I had written this thing when I, I didn't work for two years, and I was like, I need to, cre-, like you were saying, create my own opportunity. Maybe I could do this, like a, a cabaret, like a one-woman show, talking about, I mean, I, I've told the stories of my, my childhood uh, so many times over the years, and I'm really good at it at this point. I can hush, I've been at parties where I've hushed a room, because there's <laughs> nothing like an orf, a war orphan story. For you know? sure, yeah. Um, and, so, um, and so I thought, well, at least people won't be bored. They won't be mad at me for asking a, a 90 minutes of their time, which is something, because of my being one of 10 kids, I'm sort of neurotic about um, asking for your attention. I desperately want it, but I'm uncomfortable <laughs> to ask for it. And then when I get too much of it, I freak out too. Uh, which is why Beautiful is so great, because I get just enough attention. Yes, exactly. Jesse's doing all the heavy lifting. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. 
Um, but um, so yeah, so then we 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 wanted to do actually Violet, which is coming back to. Oh, uh, right. Broadway. Yes, yes. Um, because its themes were all exactly what we were all about. And it's such a beautiful musical. And um, so we had, I was on Avenue Q tour and I had worked in my contract two months off to come back and do the show. And we had our we had our whole creative team. We had the Vineyard Theater rented. So we well, we should say that. you had ri- you had written this. Like you wrote uh, the, the book, right? For Shafrika? Yeah. Yes. I had, I, I had, it wasn't in the shape that it was ultimately. But oh, yes, oh, okay. I had written it sort of as a one woman thing, and I had done over 10 years. I had been sort of working on it with April and, um, and not really knowing what I was going to do with it, but something I sort of gave my attention to when I wasn't doing something else. Um, but then we, we had this two month time that we were, we had a theater, we had the team, we had most of the cast, we had my time off of work from Avenue Q to come back to the city to do it, and then we couldn't get the rights to Violet. And so then we were, you know, on a conference call with all of the members of the company, trying to figure out frantically what we were going to do because we had this, you know, you know, we were going to get, we were going to lose the money for the rental. We everybody was had, you know, saved, carved out the time in their lives to do it, um, and we just started trying to think of shows that we could get the rights to, that we could do that fit our our ideals and and our core values and. Um, the top ten we couldn't get the rights to. So ultimately, at a certain point, we were just trying to think of, song, of shows we could get the rights to, which is actually oh, not a reason to do a show. And then Telly Leung, who was one of the members, said, well, why don't you do your show? And I said, oh, no, 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 no. We didn't start this theater company so that we could do my show. Like, that makes me very uncomfortable. Um, uh, and, and also, it's a one-person show. And this, we, you know, this is about, it's about the group. This, this company is about the group. And we don't, we don't, no. Um, and they said, well, couldn't you just add, like, backup singers and dancers? And I, just, I thought, yeah, no, but it's still the same, still the same issues, still the same problems. And then that night, I was thinking about it. I couldn't stop thinking about maybe the reason, one of the reasons why the show hadn't really worked so far was because you need a lot of bodies on stage to show what it was like to have that many bodies in a house and have that, that experience of growing up with that many people. Um, so I started giving the lines away that you know I was I was playing every character I started like what if I reassigned and just completely and so ultimately the show became about Anika thinking she was going to do a one-woman show with this entourage her posse and then they take over and start playing all the other characters and meanwhile she's like but this is my show finally all people are paying attention to me and then at the end they make the very good point of if you really wanted to do it by yourself why were we all here <laughs> you don't really like doing things just by yourself so um so yeah so we ended up doing it and um and it was a crazy, lovely experience. Um, and well-received. The really Times lovely. review was, was oh, really nice. Oh, sorry. Oh, 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 ever, oh, never, oh, ever, oh strike ever, it, strike ever. it, strike but it. Thank you. But no, no, God, no, ever, never. Did you, um, do you read reviews? Never. Oh, no. wow. And yeah, I'm shocked at how many people don't understand that that's what a lot of people do. It's funny because... But I'm also now shocked, too, at the number of people who do read reviews. I was going to say, as a non-actor, I was, I never talked about them, but then I had yeah. so many friends who like are like, oh, yeah, we all read them, whatever. And no. So then I read them. Oh, goodness. No. And I'm glad Jesse doesn't read them either, because I was like, okay, because you, I respect more than almost anybody in this business. So if you also don't read them, then I know I'm not wrong. I'm not the yeah. wrong one. We're the right ones. The rest of them are wrong. <laughs> it's all about right or wrong. Um, I made her yeah. angry, you guys. Yeah. I made her angry. <laughs> the rage. I wanted to talk a little bit about the, I don't know if it's the first show you did in New York, but Xana Don't. Yes. Well, first of all, I think it's hilarious, the line in your bio that, you know, you're the only person. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, say it. I am the only person who can say they were in the original casts of Xanadu and Xana Don't. <laughs> so yep. great. Yeah. But that show has like, it's like legendary, right? Is it? I mean, I do know I that like, when I've toured since, I've had like kids come to the stage door and say they were obsessed with it or it changed them. Or Can you that say they what played. it was about? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's 
basically a magical world, a high school and in a magical world where everyone is gay and a couple, a straight couple falls in love and it's scandalous. Um, and um, sort of the beauty of the show is you fall so in love with the people in this world because it's so, it's just so fun and silly. Um, you fall in love with everybody and, uh, and then at the end, spoiler alert, but at the end when <laughs> the world gets turned back to a straight world, or into a straight world, you go, wait, no, no. You have audiences, mixed audiences going, no, wait, no, we liked it better when everyone was gay. <laughs> um, and so I think that that's sort of a real coup of its time. I mean, the, the world is, happily, it was 11 years ago, the world has changed enough in that, in, in that time that it really isn't quite as charged or topical or exciting uh, in, in its sort of daring to, I don't know, change or make change or ask questions which is so it's a lovely thing that really it's getting it is getting better at a really rapid clip in a way I don't think any of us would have thought back then um but um but yeah no it it has affected a lot of people and then I think sort of just also in a testament to how the world has changed it's not even such a big deal anymore to do the show in high schools um and um so a lot of kids just come up to me and say I played Roberta I played you I was you (laughs) I played Roberta and my high schools you know or my community theaters or my college is production of of the show. So, um, yeah, I'm tremendously proud of it. Um, and that also was, you know, but I was able to be sort of a part of the creation. That was actually the one other time in my career that really notably I had such a great relationship with the writer and he wrote so well for me and I totally got the voice that he was writing for. And I ain't got time for nothing but love. And it's that time. I ain't got time for nothing but love. So don't be wasting none of my no, I ain't got time for nothing but love. Cause you know life ain't of time to be wasting time on anything but love lord i know the bible says we should spread our love around but my woman was getting biblical um that it yeah it ended up being such a, a fun little part such a fun show and just people that i'm so i'm still really dear friends with the majority of the people involved in that um yeah and it was a magical magical experience and you know it was one of those shows that people just went back to more than once you know people just kept coming back um, and uh, it, it was sort of tragic that it closed as quickly as it did. It was like three months or something, right? Yeah, I mean, off-Broadway, musicals are so hard to keep open just because of the finances of it. It's such a, it's such a, a sort of, I don't know, it, the model is not right. Like, there's, they need to change the... I mean, they're managing to do it now at New World Stages, but that's different because that shows that the, they're already known, that yes. a brand that they're bringing with them. But to create a new off-Broadway musical, because musicals are so expensive... And it's just completely different finances than Broadway. Um, it's very hard. And, um, and you know, for, for a time there was talk of moving it to Broadway and there was sort of hope and then it just never did happen. It'll be, I'm sure it'll, you know, like Godspell did years and years later, I'm sure eventually it'll go to Broadway. Um, and I will be there opening night. <laughs> In the cast. Never. <laughs> Even then I was like, I'm not 16. Yeah. I'm really not 16. Like, you know. So two other things we need to touch on. Um, well, Rent, mostly because it was your Broadway debut. It was. And you have such a funny telling of making your Broadway debut in Rent. I do? Well, I read where you were like... God, you do research really I, well. Thank was you, it, girl. Was it the anticlimactic yes. nature of it? Yes. Yes, it was very anticlimactic. I mean, Rent itself was like an extraordinary... It was my first union job. It was my first... They made me equity, and um, it was... I'd been in New York City a year and a half... Um, and um, they called on a Tuesday. I was temping, and they said, can you be in L.A. by Friday and be in the show the following Friday as Mrs. Cohen and others? So the, there's three women in the ensemble, a white woman, an Asian woman, and a black woman. And so I was Mrs. Cohen was the white woman. 
Um, and uh, eventually I ended up moving to be a swing and covering all of those women plus Maureen. Um, but so then they flew me out to L.A. And, um, you know, uh, Neil Patrick Harris was playing Mark and Wilson Cruz was playing Angel. And it was just a fantastically talented cast and daunting. And I remember the first day I got there being, like, incredibly overwhelmed by the Amundsen Theater, which is huge, and by L.A. and by this cast of amazing people. And then some sometime during that week was when I, when I actually made the shift of, oh, I belong here. I am one of these people's peers, and this is actually what I should be doing professionally. Um, somehow, somehow that happened in that week, so that by the time they called places that, that night um, and I went on stage, I felt like, this is right. I deserve to be here, which was thrilling. Um, and, uh, and then, so yes, yeah, so then I did the L.A. run and then became a swing on the tour, um, and so did it for about a year and a half. So by the time they asked me to come join the Broadway cast, I had played all three ensemble women. I had actually played two of the ensemble women at one time, one day because they were so it was shorthanded <laughs> that they needed me to play both of them. So I'd done that like extra degree of difficulty. I love those insane. stories. <clears throat> so insane. And then I had I had been the first white girl ever to sing the Seasons of Love solo because they had said Whoa. that I couldn't do it. I, if I, I covered that track, but if I ever went on for that track, they'd have whoever was playing Joanne sing it. Uh-huh. And I thought that doesn't make any sense because it doesn't matter what color the Seasons of Love solo is, soloist is. But the other part of that track is Joanne's mother and she's black, so the fact that I'm a white woman playing her mother is okay, but then the season doesn't matter. Oh, right. See, that Yale education. That Yale education. I don't don't know. I think anyone could have done that math. (laughs) But, um, but so, you know, so then, you know, of course, the, you know, the, I'm, can we swear on this? Well, thing? go for it. The girl. shit hit the fan. I didn't know how to say it without saying the shit hit the fan. <laughs> One day, of course, and enough people were out that um, uh, they needed me to do the Season of Love soloist track. And uh, the woman who was on for Joanne was also an understudy. And she's like, I'm not, no, I'm not also singing. I got to do We're Okay with the two phones. I have to, I have too much <laughs> on my mind right now that I'm not, no, I'm not also taking on something else. When Anika's here and she wants to do it, let her do it. So I did it. And then uh, they let me keep doing it after that. But um, so I had done Maureen a lot. I had done it actually, I had understudied it, but I had gone on, I stopped counting it a hundred times. So I had played Maureen and I played all of the other parts um, in giant, you know, in, in the, when you're touring the country, you're in much larger theaters often than Broadway theaters. Um, so I had, you know, and on the exact same set and the exact same costumes and stuff. So I had really done the show in and out. And, um, and then t- went to New York and they um, asked me to just come in for a couple of months to be a, rep- uh, you know, a swing to be there in case, you know, anyone's out. And, and um, part of being a swing in, in Rent is playing a cop. With a mask over your face, um, and you just come out in one little moment. Actually, there's two little moments. But you come out and you swing a baton, and you poke a homeless lady and leave. And there's like a tremendously a bizarre amount of choreography involved with that. Like step right, step left. Like it's far more choreography than you actually get any credit for in that moment. But um, so that was my Broadway debut. Was and, and when somebody said that to me that night as I was going to go on, they said, oh, it's your Broadway debut. And I was like, no, no, no. Can we not say that? Can we not call it that? Um, because no one will see my face. And I'll be on stage for fully 15 seconds, maybe. And I won't bow at the end of the show. So let's not call that my Broadway debut. Really? So it's fun. It's the fun thing is I think it was actually, it's such baby steps that I've sort of taken to get to where I am right now. So that was my first Broadway experience. Then eventually I did go on for Mrs. Cohen. So I then I I was an ensemble in the, in the show and then sort of slowly went sort of grew and grew to have larger ensemble parts and then be understudying 
bigger parts and then went and did Avenue Q and did the tour and then uh, came in and closed the Broadway company of Avenue Q and opened the off-Broadway company, actually. Um, but so that was my first Broadway lead. Um, and, um, and then now to be finally, for the first time, creating a Broadway lead, it does seem like I sort of... As much as I say this business isn't a ladder, it's not a, it's not a stair step, it doesn't follow that pattern, it's much more like an EKG or something, you know? Um, it does when you look back at my, specifically my Broadway path, it was very like baby steps up and up and up and up to, to get to where I, I was. In the meanwhile, years and years have passed and I've done little things here and there and, you know, lived the life that we do where it's, you know, again, feast or famine and you never know what right. to expect. But um, yeah, it has been sort of a, a pretty clear upward trajectory. Have you guys recorded the cast album yet? February 17th ah, we do it, yeah. That's amazing. I know, it's exciting. Um, it's exciting. Um, and then what? And then what's going to happen? Uh, I have I have no idea. Looks like this thing is going to be around a while. I mean, our, our contracts are through September, or mine is, I think the leads are mostly all through September, so... That's what I'll be doing till September. I made a mistake bringing up reviews, so I'm not even going to say the T word. Yeah, no, I won't say the T word. You know, when people at stage door say mention either one of those things, I say, "Oh no, we don't talk about that. That's not why we do it." I said, "Do you have fun?" And they go, "Yes." And I say, "That's why we do it." <laughs> oh, and it's so a great. little cheesy, but it's you know, but it's it it is really the truth. The reason I do it is because, uh, I mean, uh, God, the, the joy in the show. Doing it every night, I mean, it's so much fun. One of the fun things about having having had the input that I've had is that there's not a moment on the show that I don't love, in the show that I don't love doing. There's not a moment in it that I feel wonky um, or that I don't really understand what I'm doing or that I'm trying to make up for not understanding or not getting it or not liking the material. I love everything that I get to do throughout the evening. And then to get to do it with, you know, the people I do it most with are Jesse and Jared, um, and they are so lovely and um, so willing to play and just... The, the number, there are dozens of moments throughout the show where we play the game of trying to make each other laugh by saying something that, once knowing our mics are down, saying something that is it fits within the context of the show, it makes sense within the show, but will make us laugh and sort of throw the other person. Um, and there's just dozens of those moments where we're just messing with each other. That's it's awesome. so much fun that, um, yeah, no, it's just going to continue to be a happy little ride over at the Sondheim. Uh, go see it, everybody. It's such yeah. a good show. Hey, so um, you, obviously you can say no, but sometimes, well, mm-hmm. every time, we ask mm-hmm. people if they might maybe sing a little oh, something. Geez. You don't Acapella? have to. Mm-hmm. But you don't, oh. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking, somebody asked you what your favorite, uh, I'm saying her name wrong, Wheel? Or Wild. Wild mm-hmm. and Man mm-hmm. song, and you mm-hmm. said Walking in the Rain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you maybe give us a little? Sure. Um, I don't, I, it's a duet with us, so I don't actually sing really any of it by myself. I thought you'd but, um, never ask. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you knew no, it, I, don't I would even know make it. you. <laughs> um, uh, oh, he starts, it's so romantic. He sits down, because we were having a fight, and um, we haven't spoken to each other in weeks, and he comes in, and he says, I finally wrote the music to the, to the lyric he wrote, and he sits down, and it's so romantic. It's so stinking romantic. He starts to sing, and it just gives me goosebumps every night, because, God, Jared's such a good singer. Um, but how does he start? He goes, oh. he goes, I want her... I need her, and someday, some, someway, whoa, whoa, I'll meet her. She'll be kind of shy and real good looking, too. And he always turns and looks at me when he says that line. And I know, oh, geez, I don't know how it goes from there. She and real good looking, too. And I'll be certain she's my girl by the things she'll like to do. Like walking in the rain and wishing on the stars up above and being so in love. 
And then, of course, by that point, I have to come over and grab him around his neck and love him. That is that Anika Larson voice that everyone just loves. Well, I don't know, is uh, it? It's gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you, girl. Today's episode was produced by me and Vanya Arslanian. Special thanks, as always, to BroadwaySpotted.com, Davenport Theatrical, Steve Tipton, who manages our website, Bradley Bean, who wrote and recorded our music, the staff at Oswald's, Ellen Marsh, and you fellow theater people. We'll be back in two weeks with Hedwig and the Angry Inch director, Michael Mayer. It's going to be an amazing episode. Until then, tell your friends about us and keep coming back. Let's get the theater community talking. Before we go, I had to say, so maybe this isn't right, but I read that you sometimes will eat peanut butter cups before the show. Yes. So my husband, who's a little Mm -hmm. bit of a baker, made you guys peanut butter cookies. No effing Mm -hmm. way. We'll give them, they're in that little box over there. Thank you. So you said by saying you guys means I have to share them? Well, there's a lot of cookies. You can do with them whatever you want, girl. (laughs) But there's a lot of cookies. I absolutely love them.